Legendary critic Roger Ebert says the plot of this film, summarized, invites parody, but the result is surprisingly effective. Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader disagrees, saying we might as well be watching a blissed-out Bill and Ted caper. And in reviewing its 2015 remake, Marjorie Baumgarten of the Austin Chronicle notes that the original was indeed ludicrous, but it exuded warmth, vitality, and belief in itself. The 2.0 update splashes up on shore, DOA. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Point Break. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters, and welcome to Ruined Childhoods. That's right, everybody. That guy over there is Dan. I'm John. We're brothers. We're talking about movies, and we're getting jacked and excited. And we're going to talk about what we're going to do in terms of bringing him back as a remake, reboot, prequel, sequel, whatever, what have you. Who knows what it will be. Thank you for listening. And hi, Dan. If it has to be done, we will we will find the best possible way to do it. Yes. Until and somebody else finds a better possible way to do it. That's right. And just right off the bat, right before we started recording this, we are actually recording this on Sunday uh, February 13th, and we just uh, saw the news that the legend, the legendary director and producer Ivan Reitman has passed away um, in his mid-70s, young, and uh, the, the, just the, the biggest poor one out we possibly can for a true, yeah. you know, screen legend, uh, especially of like 90s cinema well, uh, 80s, 80s, 90s, yeah. even going back to the 70s, Ivan Reitman, I, right. I mean, this is like any any loss is is uh is sad and uh you know, any any loss that's not I mean, like I, Betty White, you know, lover, but right. y- you know, we we could say like yes, she 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 lived a long, health, healthy, and ha- happy life, yes. and entertained millions. And Ivan Reitman, I mean, you know, seventy-five is not exactly young, but it's still it's young, and it's a bit surprising. And uh, it, it, for I think for us and for those of our generation, Ivan Reitman gave us so much yeah. from. I and I mean, starting even you know producing. Animal House and uh, and the the Blues Brothers and right um, yeah I mean directing Ghostbusters well, alone could be yes. you know a, directing an Ghostbusters uh, yes that in and of itself but also directing Twins Twins and Dave Kindergarten Cop Kindergarten and Cop. Dave yeah so many that, that we've already talked about I, on I know this and there's a reason why we've talked about them is because they are these beloved beloved movies. And I, I'm so thrilled that, you know, the the Reitman dynasty, filmmaking dynasty continues on. Um, yes. And 
with the blessing, you know, especially with Ghostbusters Afterlife, Dan, I don't know if you had seen it, but, you know, the things that uh, Jason Reitman did with that, with Ivan Reitman as well, uh, is just like a testament to the talents and, uh, I don't know, the enjoyability of the work done by Ivan Reitman. So the biggest pour one out. The impact, like the impact of his work on on pop culture, you know, you, yeah. you talk about Ghostbusters, you talk about uh, Stripes is another yeah. one. You talk about Kindergarten Cop and and Twins, uh, Meatballs. Right. These are these are movies that are like in the DNA of movie buffs especially if you grew up in in the 1980s yeah and and 90s but uh these are just so a part of our uh you know like our our cinematic language yeah yeah the movies of of ivan reitman you know it actually it's one of those things so it, it it is also it is oscar season and uh the the academy award nominations were announced uh, let um, you know the the week leading up to our recording this, and it's something that I think about often with so many directors from the 1980s who maybe didn't direct or maybe weren't nominated for Academy Awards, but really were like the lifeblood of 80s mainstream movies Absolutely. and like made great. And I think about this with, with, you know, I, I thought about this with Richard Donner, who we also lost mm-hmm. uh, not, not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, John McTiernan is another one. Uh, who he just, lost to the law. Well, yes. Who? Yeah. Well, yeah, he, he lost himself. He fought the law and the law won. Yeah. Uh, but these filmmakers who, despite the lack of, uh, awards to their names. Uh, certainly, their well, uh, you know, their their movies have made sure. You know. Well, something that is important to note is that, like, you know, there are, and this is less of a factor back in the eighties, and I guess maybe the earlier nineties. But you know, nowadays, movies that are intended to be awards contenders usually come out towards the end of the year. They try to get everybody like to be fresh in everyone's memories when it comes time to do awards voting. And I I, I don't know if that was exactly the case uh, in the 80s. I don't think so. Because, you know, you think about a lot of the, the bigger movies, you're nodding. Does that mean you're nodding yes? I mean, yes, yes. There's I, Look, you always have your outliers. Silence of the Lambs released sure. in February of 1991. Yeah. But all of the other it's it's usually like September, October, November, December. Yeah. You see right. the up. The, I mean, you've got your summer. There, there are ones that you, like you're saving Private Ryan that comes out over right. the summer. But yeah, and, but it's the movies that are like the. Ivan Reitman movies that come out that get people continuing to come out to see movies. You know, the the ones that are maybe uh, mid-budget, that uh, have familiar faces in them, maybe they're comedies, which, you know, you don't see as much of anymore, really. You know, a lot of those now are maybe straight to streaming. Um, you know, they, there's just not the same uh, thirst for that kind of thing. But, well, you know, not, at the time, Ivan Reitman was bringing people to the theaters, 
during times that were maybe not peak movie going times. They weren't necessarily the like summer blockbuster movies. They weren't necessarily the big Oscar movies. They a, a lot of his movies came out during Oscar season. Twins and Kindergarten Cop, notably, right? But they weren't came out going to be. Oscars. They weren't going to be the like big contenders. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. They were the movies that that like you know the kids went to go see while the parents were going <laughs> to see you know Rain Man or whatever. That's another thing. Yeah, I don't know if I know that that was kind of maybe our experience growing up, where it's like, all right, you go see this while we go see this kind of a thing. But, well, and I think I think it yeah. was, uh, and, and interestingly enough, possibly. Uh, that may tie in to today's film. <gasps> I, I, it, it, I don't know. But uh, coming back to this, I think there's also, there was much more of a concentrated focus on, on what was coming out in, in, in cinemas, in movie theaters right. back then. And it was kind of like, there were a handful of movies that came out and, you know that those were the ones that everyone went to see and they're like stars big actors were much more relied upon to anchor movies now it's more i would say concepts mm-hmm. it's more like you know all right well let's see and, and since so many movies that come out now are you know different takes on on old ideas or reboots i'm thinking of like the batman uh-huh. and just how it, and it's almost commonplace now and it's oh, okay another few few years we'll we'll have another batman and we'll see how this director does yeah. batman mm-hmm. and, and you know and, and it, that that goes for that that applies to so many different um different genres but it's so much less about the uh, about the stars and like the premise, like twins was so much about the premise. Kindergarten cop was so much about the, the premise. Ghostbusters is it, Ghostbusters is just so out there because it's like, all right, well let's take the, the top comedy stars yeah. of, of the day uh, of the day. Um, pair them with like Sigourney Weaver, who in addition to being an action hero, action hero yeah, by that well, point you know i i, I do want to quickly amend that a little bit because i don't think that harold ramus was exactly one of the biggest comedy stars at the time but he was a star in the comedy world even he though his was, work was more behind the scenes right yeah but but look i mean but, with but, stripes like, yeah of course but well he directed caddyshack he directed caddyshack but not a lot of people at the time were probably just like Oh, the guy who directed Caddyshack well, is in this. No, no, no. Look, look. Harold Ramis was not the the name. Like you know, the, the if they were choosing which names to the, the names of that have the larger font size on the poster are not like Harold Ramis and Ernie Hudson. Not even Rick Moranis right. at the, at that point. Who, by the way, is just over my shoulder. Uh, Dan, uh, I don't yep, know if you can see Vince. Vince the Vince Clotho. Vince Clortho, Clortho, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I hung some I, artwork this this past few days. I mean, but yeah, Ghostbusters was just kind of revolutionary because it was the, and of course, like, you know, Aykroyd and Ramis wrote it, but it was taking these top comedians and putting them in the context of a supernatural, I I mean, it would be a supernatural thriller if, if you just took that, took the story and didn't have the script or the actors, it, it would just be straight up supernatural thriller. 
Yeah, and uh, just another note about Ghostbusters, and then we'll move on from uh, this tribute to the. But we just fa- we just uh, found I know out. I know I know. But just one other thing is like as we are talking about Ghostbusters, and we're talking about the the actors in it, and we're talking about you know the the, the people behind it. What's going through my head is the score. Like, just those little things are just so fresh, and I, uh, you know, they they cling onto your spinal cord and just attach themselves into your your psyche a little bit. It, it's one of those movies where it's just like the stars aligned, both literally and figuratively. Well, figuratively, and or their schedules aligned at least, and. <laughs> it's the type of thing that like, yes, you could do do sequels, but it's like, you're never going to like, that's a once in a lifetime type of movie. Yeah, absolutely. And Ivan Reitman was certainly a once in a, once in a lifetime uh, filmmaker and uh, he, he will be missed, but his, his legacy is firmly in place. And one other thing that I want to note about Ivan Reitman is that, uh, at least for me, for quite a while, I kind of linked him, and I think this is because of Animal House, and they kind of went down to, they started in the same core and kind of went down in different directions, and, you know, as time went on, they kind of detached from each other more and more, but I think about him, and I think about John Landis, and mm. I feel like they both have these really interesting, um, you know, filmographies, and, you know, they're known for you know, having this start with like Animal House and stuff like that. But like, I, you know, people don't have a lot of really good things to say about the character of John Landis. Whereas Ivan Reitman, I don't think I've heard a negative thing about him personality wise. And I think that that makes a big difference. Yeah, no, I think he's got a, uh, I, I think like his, his, just his reputation as as just a genuinely good person is yeah. firmly in place. Oh, you know what, John? Um, so first of all, I misspoke earlier. He was not involved in in Blues Brothers, um, because there's right. a whole thing about the different path that the Animal House, like the Animal House crew, basically divided, and like some went on to Caddyshack and some went on to Blues Brothers, and it was like a whole the the uh, uh, Chris Nashawati uh, Caddyshack right. book talks about that but i will say you know we were before we went on we were thinking oh man like you know can we do an like do we have an ivan reitman movie that we can do yeah and right because we, we are in uh we are in february our our celebration of the films involving the federal bureau of investigation and as it just so happens ivan reitman is credited as an executive producer on uh the last film we talked about feds that's right I remembered seeing his name in the credits, too. Interesting. Yep. So very tangentially involved. There you go. There. But uh, uh, yes, yes. I'm sure like I look at his filmography and and how much how many of his movies we've we've already we've already done. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, when I was thinking about like. Was was there a kindergarten cop FBI tie? And it's like, well, we already did it. So like kindergarten whatever. cop two. <laughs> yeah, kindergarten cop two is FBI, yeah. That's right. <laughs> In that weird like FBI field office. Anyway, um Yeah. 
I want to talk about another thing that's in the news. And you, you know, there would have been a better segue had I gotten to this sooner. But, you know, we were talking about uh, directors who get nominated for Oscars. And uh, this past year, there were uh, two directors who, uh, there, it is the opinion of, uh, I believe it was Josh Brolin who said that Denis Villeneuve was snubbed for uh, directing Dune and uh, not getting an Oscar nomination for that. And um, there was a director who came out with two very big movies this year, uh, Ridley Scott with House of Gucci and The Last Duel. Um, not to say that I think that either of those deserved for him to have gotten a, a Best Directing nomination, but uh, still a very like high-caliber director pumping out two giant movies in one year. It's kind of, uh, it's just an impressive feat. And I bring this up because it was announced that uh, Amazon is bringing Blade Runner to the uh, the small screen, <laughs> although these screens these days, they're not small, uh, but to a, uh, I think it's Blade Runner 2099. It's yes. going to be the series. Yes. And um, yeah, so that's interesting. I'm curious to see what they're going to do with it. Uh, what the style is going to be like. I mean, uh, Dan, you've seen Blade Runner 2049, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yes. It's yes. fantastic. It's beautiful. It, beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, that was definitely in that run of like Harrison Ford bringing back old characters. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, I, I would say that the, uh, uh, on the, uh, on the higher quality end of, of that absolutely. little genre. <laughs> absolutely. And did he um, do any others other than, other than Indiana, oh, oh, Star, uh, Star Wars. Wars, yeah, right, right, Star Wars, and I mean, they should get him back for another Jack Ryan. Maybe once we cover a Jack Ryan movie, I mean, I think we'll that... do the Clancy verse. <laughs> was he FBI or was that NSA, CIA, CIA? CIA. Yeah, he was CIA. Right. Yeah. 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 Um. Anyway, so that's a thing that's going to be happening. Blade Runner 2099. So 50 years after, I mean, if you do the math, of course, 50 years uh, after the events of Blade Runner 2049. And Blade Runner 2049 is one that I saw one time and I would love to watch it again. But I've always been in a situation where I'm like, right, but I want to wait till I have a better like sound system. You right. know, like I want to make sure that it's going to be in a situation where it's going to look and sound as good as possible. So... Like I that just might wanna, be a, once that I might be a invest, Blu-ray purchase for me. Once I can invest in my own IMAX theater, yeah, <laughs> that's that's I think the the time. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, thinking about it now, I uh, I I I announced this on the last episode. I've got this new job that I'm about to start, where I could kind of make this stuff happen. Not IMAX, but like no, but you could have a screening of. I could definitely do a screening of Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and you know. Make make a whole thing of it. I'll be there. <laughs> I'll be there. So, Dan. Yeah. It is February. We are uh, talking about movies involving the Federal Bureau of Investigation. We've talked about The Silence of the Lambs. We've talked about Feds. And now we're talking about Point Break. Point Break. Dan, what is your past experience with Point Break? Well, I first saw Point Break in theaters. Uh in the summer of 1991 in uh it would have been in later summer of 1991 because 
Uh, it was during one of our annual trips to Sea Island, Georgia. <gasps> okay. And I remember was, that's why I said I'm not sure if this was a movie where like you and Scott went into something else, and then our our our, our family friend who's about my a little bit older than I am, Pam, we went to Point Break. Okay, so if this is was this in Georgia. Or was yeah. this okay? Because no, I have a movie-going memory that took place in a hotel on the way to Georgia. Yeah, which I hope no. to talk about that sometime in the in the near future on another episode. I'm kind of I don't want to give away too much information because we may cover this movie. I, I do think I remember most of the movies that we saw at that theater. Okay, the one you, in the mall, the one the that one was like that... in a mall, like attached to the hotel. Am I remembering yes. that right? Okay. Yes. No. Yes. It was the greatest place on earth <laughs> for us at the time. It was somewhere in like North Carolina or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So yeah, no, this was at, I, if I remember correctly, it was like, it was a small theater. It was like a small theater. It was like a, like probably like a second run theater in a, in a, in a, like in a strip mall. So, so it's like what it was just like one of those kind of like classic uh, theaters that they really are. There really aren't that many of them around and anymore. Anybody who's listened to past episodes of the Ruined Childhoods podcast will understand and not be surprised by the fact that on a family vacation to a beach resort, we went to the movies. It was raining. It was raining. I mean, yeah, of course it was raining. Not that that in this, it wouldn't have stopped us. Not that that would have made a difference. No, no, no. But we how didn't... appropriate that this movie begins and ends in the rain, right? Yeah. Yes. And uh, it actually and... ends in Oregon. I mean, it's supposed to be Australia, <laughs> but it's shot in Oregon, where I am right now. Ah, yes. Uh... <laughs> Yeah. So I remember uh, I remember seeing it and I remember it was like I I liked it. It definitely grew on me as the years went by. But I remembered feeling that it was a very it was much like a grittier action movie than I was accustomed to at, at the, uh, you know, tender young right. age of yeah. 13 yeah. going on 14. But a lot a lot grittier, uh, like especially the scenes with like the there's the uh the gang of of neo nazis right. that that we that we encounter and uh during the 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 shootout at the neo nazis house i that one stuck out really vividly to me just because there there was so much it just seemed so like oh like just filthy and right yeah was, yeah yeah i yeah, uh... I'm going to do a little synopsis and then we'll get into it. Uh, I will add, though, that I this was not the first time that I saw it, but I did see it in the theater. I saw it at the Alamo Draft House in Austin many years ago, but it was like a midnight showing and I definitely dozed off in the middle. Not because it is the movie kind of movie where you doze off, but I think I was just like really beat. I think yeah. I just did a lot of traveling that day. Um, so here's a little synopsis. And I, I kept it short because... This is one where, like, as soon as you crack it open, you can really just start, like, blah, 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 talking. 
Former college quarterback turned FBI special agent Johnny Utah is partnered up with old-timer wildcard Angelo Pappas to take down a group of bank robbers who call themselves the ex-presidents. Working off of Pappas's theory that they're surfers, Utah goes deep undercover to find and take down the criminals. But after he gets in too deep and finds his identity from within the ethos of ex-president's leader Bodhi, Johnny Utah has to decide whether or not to take them down or to continue to live by their code. It's, uh, you know, there's a lot more that you can kind of really say, and I feel like framing it that way kind of uh, oversimplifies it, Um, but it's... It is one of those movies, and like you said, a gritty action movie directed by Kath- the amazing Catherine Bigelow, and I am just so enamored by what she did with such a simple story of, you know, you know, rookie FBI agent has to find some bank robbers, but gets in too deep. Yeah. You know, and there's there's so much that they do that pays itself off uh the characters are you know multi-layered i mean you think about now that there's a character who goes by the name Bodhi, who's kind of this just like guru guy but the way that patrick swayze plays him is just like you you understand him and you uh almost at times feel for him and you want to just like him and like him and like him i mean it helps that it's patrick swayze and right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, just such such an incredible force. And and of course, uh, Keanu Reeves plays uh, Johnny Utah in his first action movie, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. First first action movie up until this point. It was comedies and, and art house fair for Keanu. And this was his first foray into action. Well, this year alone was Bill and Ted's bogus journey in my own private Idaho. Yeah. So like yeah. what a, you know, triple threat. <laughs> <laughs> really i mean quite a yeah. get you a man who can do all three in one year well hey it's keanu right but going back to what you were saying about Bodie, about patrick swayze's character yeah Bodie, in watching uh you know and watching it again and thinking about Bodie, and also thinking about Bodie's relationship with tyler uh played Lori by Lori petty, petty mm-hmm. who uh, is she says you know she had uh, lost her her parents in a in a plane crash when she was young, and she's found herself kind of you know living at the beach and being part of this crew, you know, kind of part of this crew and being Bodie's lover, uh, part time yeah. lover to former you know lover, yeah, 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 and it it reminded me so much of. Charles Manson and how Charles mm. Manson would 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 hang around the beach and would be would talk about these spiritual things and would talk to young women very much like Tyler and give them these these young women who felt like they didn't uh you know they they didn't fit in they were runaways they didn't their parents didn't understand them and and Manson would tell them and talk to them and say things that made a lot of sense because he took logic the same way, uh, you know, Bodhi kind of, uh, you know, talks about it and uses the logic uh, partially of 
you know, kind of that stealing from from the rich uh-huh. almost. Um, but he's very it's very he's very Manson esque where he preaches this peace and love, but then has other then is is involved in crime and and really aside from the part that he's in that he does get involved in in the break-ins and he does come in uh to the to the break-ins he only shoots one person right uh, during uh you know during the story and he talks about how he hates violence and he has other people in his gang that don't have an aversion to violence yeah to do the which was so much Manson who convinced others to do uh to commit crimes and mm-hmm. uh commit violent crimes on, on his behalf Charles Manson uh you know to I think is to, to the best of anyone's knowledge never actually killed anybody He uh okay Directly. I believe he it was before the like main you know murders that we all know about I believe that he shot somebody who I'm I don't know the full story remember everything exactly but there was somebody who like came to spawn ranch or something and uh i think that he killed them in order to try and incite a race riot I, it was like I, a black uh like somebody who was black that he was trying to get the there to be like a cop i don't know well that remember. was his whole thing and not to get off on a manson tangent but uh yeah i don't know i i i I question that. I'm also, I get a lot of my information from reading Helter Skelter. So, right. I think that I, what I remember is from listening to the Charles Manson uh, season of You Must Remember This, which was like so, the podcast called You Must Remember This, Karina Longworth's uh, brilliant, well researched podcast series. And there was one season that was all about uh, Charles Manson. And I, you know, it was, I haven't listened to it in years, but it was, uh, just mind blowing. And yeah. So anyway, uh, I believe that I, he killed that one person, but I, yes, he had well, everybody then, else. Then he and Bodie are, are, are the scores even. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so he, and, uh, so, so Bodie very much reminded me of, uh, of Manson, uh, particularly. That's a really good how, point. That's interesting. I hadn't considered that. It didn't. It didn't hit me until this latest viewing, and really, it was thinking about the the Tyler relationship and yeah. how would she end up with him, and kind of mixed up because she also doesn't seem to be aware that that he's a bank robber. No, 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 no. Yeah, um, yeah. I I wanted to. Um, also just talk a little bit about the difference between the times that I viewed this movie and how they affected me differently. Because I feel like I, you know, watching it this past week, you know, I'm certainly watching it with a more analytical eye since we're talking about it on the podcast and really absorbing all of the things that work so well about this movie, especially having to do with, the direction and um i mean the performances are amazing i mean i'd say this is probably for me gary Busey's best performance um i mean you know he's he's a total character but like it works so well and yeah he says completely bananas things but like it's awesome and i i absolutely love 
the way that he and uh, uh, Keanu Reeves bounce off of each other because there's definitely this like hesitancy on both of their parts at different times, but there's a respect that goes into it as well. So uh, I noticed that. Um, I also noticed that, and I want to say this ha- probably has a lot to do with Catherine Bigelow's perspective on mm. uh, machismo. And, uh, you know, this movie is very much a, you know, boys doing boy things kind of a kind of a movie. Kind of a bromance. It's kind of it's a very twisted bromance. But uh, I wanted to actually I'm going to play the clip of the scene where they're playing football because I Mm -hmm. was watching it this time differently than I'd watched it before. Mm -hmm. And it's funny to watch it thinking about. Uh, another like action movie that has like a random sports scene like Top Gun where uh, in that one it's just all to music but this one you hear the the sounds they're making and they're these very yeah. animalistic sounds I'm just going to play that really quick Ready So I wanted to point out that the only voice that you hear saying words is Lori Petty, is Tyler. It's the only woman that's playing, is the only one who's actually saying words. The rest of them are just grunting and making animal noises. Wow. (laughs) That's that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I noticed I definitely noticed when I was watching the the kind the animalisticness of it like everything from you know from uh Johnny chasing Bodie like and tackling him into the waves oh, yeah. to like how hard they're hitting and they're not playing they're barely playing with clothes on much right. less yeah. uh padding but yeah, right. They're very animalistic and yeah, Tyler the only one to actually speak using English, using, using language. words. Yeah, it's, yes. it's well, fascinating. Using the English it's, language. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And uh, it's something that I hadn't picked up on until I was watching it this time. And mm. I uh, was just so admirable of those little decisions that had to have been intentional. You know, there had to have been the kind of thing where it's like, don't talk to each other, just make noises, you know? Yeah, uh, I I really appreciate that. And, you know, going back to what you were saying about this being just such a, like a grittier action movie, and a lot of that also has to do with the very specific costuming and the way that the actors portrayed the ex-presidents, you know, when they became these bank robbing people, like how they acted during the bank robberies. And 
you know, you see a lot of movies where they're, you know, if you're talking about other bank robbery movies and you you think about, I mean, there's movies like uh, Baby Driver or The Town mm-hmm. or, you know, where they kind of do this ex-president's thing, wearing the rubber masks and stuff like that. Uh, there's something about what they do in Point Break that's really fascinating where it goes to the close-ups of you know, uh, of Bodhi's eyes through the mask. And, yeah. you know, the the mouth of the mask, like, moves as he's talking. And there's just something about it that's just, like... There's one point where he, like, sticks his tongue out of the mouth slit of the mask. And, like, oh, yeah. there's just yeah. something that's really cool about that. And it's, it makes it very effective. And then there's the entire chase sequence. And I was watching this, and I was like, this has to be my favorite chase in all of cinema when uh when johnny utah is chasing Bodie, still wearing the uh, you know ronald reagan mask and the and the tux and everything uh he doesn't take the mask off and they're they're running through there's that part where they ditch the car and he makes he turns the gas station pump into a flamethrower and oh. you just kind of see that in slow motion you see his face through the flames oh my god it's beautiful and it's just it's during this chase sequence and uh, it's i i was just in awe watching it this time and um yeah just really appreciative of the care that was put into what could have easily been something that was brushed off a little bit and think about the uh, the 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 part of the chase that's it's on foot and it's uh utah's chasing bodie and through those really narrow yeah. alleyways, and like when when Bodie has to run in, like runs into that person's house, yeah. and like throws the dog at yeah. at Utah, and uh, like it's so there's parts where it's so confining. And I think, I, I think I remember reading something about like how they develop, like what they did and like the certain type of like the camera and the way that the, uh, the camera operator kind of had to like was following them. And mm. yeah, yeah, it just sounds like really, really wonderful. It's one of the sequences in this movie. One of the many sequences in this movie that made me, really appreciate just the way that movies used to be made and like i can you could draw a line from this to the french connection and yeah and the the car chase scenes in the french but also like not just those sequences but the the quieter sequences and the sequences where tension really builds the scene, the aforementioned raid on the the neo Nazis yeah. that uh, that they suspect th- that that those are Utah's first suspects, sure, uh, it, including uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers singer Anthony Kiedis, mm-hmm. and it, that scene, the tension to it builds even from from uh, Johnny being late <laughs> to, right. to his own. Well, up until the end, when Johnny is being held face against a a moving lawnmower, and oh my goodness, the I was at the edge of my. I've seen this movie twenty times. Yes, at the edge of my seat. Yes, and just like 
freaking out because I was like, oh my God. But the whole that build is, up yeah. from the lawnmower going on as they're standing outside yeah. and they can't, building up the tension. Pappas is at the front door right. asking about the dog. And because the lawnmower is on, you can't hear the radios. And, right, yeah. right. And all of this miscommunication and it builds, the tension builds to the point where you're like, oh my God, the more, every second that goes by, the worse it is going to get. And yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty right. bad. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's brutal. I feel like we're kind of dancing all over the place with this one, but I kind of don't mind. Uh, <laughs> it's well, uh, no, it's one I, of those movies yeah. that like you could just, as soon as you start talking about it, you start thinking about other things that are just so incredible about it. Like, you know, we're talking about the chase sequence. There's an entire chase that happens mid air that, that happens while they're falling from an airplane, you know, Johnny Utah, without a parachute, dives down to catch Bodie, holding a gun up against him. But he's just like, "I'm you, the only way you can open up the chute is if you drop the gun." Oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's is that the one? That's they because they already know he's a he's a cop. Then they and well, they take I mean him that was the plane. That was the second jump. The first jump they also oh, right, knew, right, right. they also knew that he was an FBI agent. But they, right. he has a pack in the first. Yeah. yeah. And actually I want to play a clip. Uh, this is right before, this is after the chase sequence where they find out that Johnny Utah is a federal agent mm -hmm. and they're trying to figure out what do we do about Johnny Utah? You act like nothing happened. Relax, Nathaniel. Don't tell me to relax, Bodie. He's a fucking federal agent. Should have shot him when I had the chance. I'll deal with that fucking cop. No, Rosie. Do you realize that we have hit 30 banks in three years and they haven't been able to touch us? And all this does is up the stakes of the game. Fuck the stakes, Bodie! I mean, the only person this is a game to is you, man. This is real. I mean, this is serious shit, and I am scared, okay? So I say we get the fuck out of here now, tonight, okay? Run, you die. Come on, think about it. This was never about money for us. It was about us against the system. That system that kills the human spirit. We stand for something. To those dead souls inching along the freeways in their metal coffins, we show them that the human spirit is still alive. So you trust me? Okay, then don't worry about this guy. I know exactly what to do with him. Yeah, and then the next morning, they pick him up from his place. They've, I mean, over the course of the night, orchestrated this entire kidnapping thing with Tyler. And they take him up in an airplane and kind of give him this incredible life-altering experience where, you know, he knows that they know who he is. But they're doing this thing where it's just all about experiencing something together and like mm -hmm. feeling this like giant rush and uh, feeling this sense of camaraderie, you know, reconnecting him to who he thought that they were. Do you think Bodhi's trying to turn him in that sequence? I think that he's trying to, uh, I think that he's already like kind of turned him and he kind of knows it, but like 
it's really just a the idea of this isn't just our enemy. This is somebody who, even though we know the truth about him, you can't deny who he turned out to be during that course of time that we were spending with him. And you can him see him being it, Johnny. Him being Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. Like you could see that Johnny has had this transformation in his personality because he's only what, 25? Like yeah. he's still very young. You know, he's, he, they probably know, like he can't be that far into, you know, the FBI. Uh, Bodie already knows that he was like a college football star. Like they, he already knows like who this guy is. And I think that he had some faith in him that because also keep in mind that at the end of that like super epic chase sequence, Johnny Utah has the shot at Bodie, but doesn't take it. He has the opportunity Famously. to shoot him and kill him, but he can't do it. So he points the gun up in the air and squeezes the trigger. Yeah. And uh, and and, I, and that's the moment where Bodie is just like, there's something that we got to do to get him to reconnect because, you know, we, we have a chance here. And uh, unfortunately they do have to take Tyler hostage and in order the insurance policy. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's, um, it's kind of a a perfect moment really. Well, and and one of the, one of the many, uh, like, you know, great, uh, great factors of, of this script is the, the setup of, him having a bad knee so that when right. he is chasing Bodhi and falls, it's his bad knee that yeah. gives out. And that's, that's the thing. That's what I said. These things that, that pay themselves off that you don't expect to, they, they just work. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's so, it's just so good and so well done. And it's why, uh, it, watching it, today after also in in the last uh several hours watching the 2015 point break that i hesitate yes. to refer to as a remake uh, and it is a dare i say spiritual remake <laughs> i mean look let's be honest the fast and the furious is more oh, of a oh, remake Dan, of point break we, than the remake of point break you want to talk about fast and the furious we can talk about fast and the furious they are I, th- fast and the furious is a remake of point break to the to the moment where the fbi agent goes to talk to the woman in order to connect him to the people and she's working at like a sandwich counter in both of them. Yeah. Yeah. And then what's interesting is the Point Break remake is much more like a Fast and the Furious Presents movie. Well, it's all about extreme sports. It's capitalizing on a on a subculture which Point Break did as well. I mean the surfers well, the surfing yes. community is definitely a subculture. And uh, in 1991 was certainly like more of a thing thing than maybe it would be now. Um, But yeah, the extreme sports subculture, the whole like do the do 
<laughs> you know, mindset. But that's and you you know what's funny? You said that one of my notes is this is a Mountain Dew commercial <laughs> with a two hour runtime. Yeah. Uh they it is I, I'm I'm gonna I'm sorry, I need to go on a rant for a moment. All right. I'm just gonna commence I mean, what, were, you, were you gonna go on a on, were you gonna do a synopsis of the remake? No, cause... I didn't write down a synopsis of the remake, but no. it's it's essentially well. Do you need me to give any information? And all this would be based on only just remembering from watching it in a hotel room okay. several years ago. I'm going to throw this out there. So first of all, Johnny Utah is not actually named Johnny Utah. He That's a nickname, apparently, in this, which I'm like... Oh, no, that wasn't strike one. Strike one was he's a thrill seeker from the beginning. He's this like big, famous, extreme athlete. He's being played by the less charismatic, like genetic leftover material twin brother of John Cena. Uh, And he's it's like he oh, and then from the beginning, it's like, wait a second. Is this a remake of Cliffhanger? Because like his friend dies. They're doing this like extreme bike jumps and and his friend dies. And that so I don't know. He's sad. And then he's he ends up in the FBI seven years later and he gets it right away. Like right away. They're like, oh, so there's these, you know, this group of international. It's international now. And there's this group of international thieves. And and they do. They, this is where it's it's a little bit more rob from the rich and give to the poor. Whereas right. in the original, it's they are they rob banks to kind of fund their endless summer travels right they don't have a sponsor as they do in the remake <laughs> they've got this sponsor and it was Bodhi is a uh was he's venezuelan um and he's there's no explanation of why he's called Bodhi. he just is and um you've got pappas but in this he's he's ray winstone he's uh like an interpol right. A agent uh who he's not like what i like about uh pappas in the in in the original is that in the first scene uh the first scene you meet him when they're doing the swimming pool like yeah. you know training exercises blindfolded finding the bricks and he just kind of like leaps into the pool like he's at a pool party you get the sense all right this guy's wild it's also in the original point break it's pappas's theory that they're surfers right and everyone makes and, fun of him for it. Yeah, yeah, and you, you like Utah's kind of going along with it, you know, reluctantly. Whereas in this, it's like he watches a video and he's like, "They're extreme athletes. I know this because I'm an extreme athlete." And uh, makes a whole like presentation where there's like a promo video of him playing in the background. It's ridiculous. And then, oh, like uh, Utah almost drowns. Bodie saves him in this one. Uh, and, uh, oh, then there's one part where he goes in, there's like the Tyler in this one. Her name isn't Tyler. And she looks like, like she doesn't stick out. Like Lori Petty had like was sexy in this, like different type of way. Like there weren't other, uh, actresses. There weren't other like female lead actresses out there who were that like Lori Petty, who had that Lori Petty quality to them yeah yeah and she was so she was and she was so uh like 
perfect. She was authentic, this. very uh, authentic. Yeah, and everything about her was was completely believable. She had a job. She had a life. She just happened to like surfing and got involved with these guys. Whereas the equivalent in the 2015 was kind of just part of the, I mean, she wasn't stealing anything from anybody, but she was part of the crew. No, she's part of the crew. She was, I don't remember. She's part of the crew because he fights her. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm going to give shit away about this. Cause honestly, like, unless you really want to see how, a little effort they like the the creative team and and I'm not saying I know we say there are no bad movies and people worked you, you, you say that but I'm also going to say this just really quick if you want to watch a movie that shows a lot of really cool extreme sports like things that happen oh absolutely that, like, if you just want to enjoy watching those things you can skip past all the story stuff and see them flying with those like squirrel suits through you don't have to skip a damn thing because there's no there's barely any scenes in between oh you can get up scenes, and take a piss there's maybe. the scene, right during like the where they're like having the little like club scene on a yacht or whatever it is and yeah but even then it's like when they go swimming and they're like mer people they're underwater for like two minutes like swimming uh, it, uh, you Johnny Utah and and whatever the non Tyler Tyler. We can just call him Tyler. It's fine. Yeah, uh, her name is Samara or something like that in this. And yeah, it, it's like there's so I'm looking at they do replicate the the firing into the air scene which is just makes it even even better yeah the scenes are cool like the flying scene where they're in the squirrel suits yeah is cool like but it's one after the other and that's why and they start so extreme that there's really nowhere to go whereas in in point break which is so much more grounded in reality i can't believe i'm saying that (laughs) but it's not one just one like crazy action sequence after the other. It's it's an extreme sports highlight reel. Well, also the crazy action sequences take place in people's backyards and narrow alleyways, right? And in yeah. a not fancy looking part of L.A. Yeah. What's also weird is it's like, and, and I mean, I'm not a surfer, but I imagine that the term Point Break is actually a surfing term. Uh, sure. So. The uh, the title of the movie Point Break, it wasn't originally Point Break. It was like Johnny Utah or something like that. Yeah. And then they were just like, let's see if there's a surfing term that sounds cool. And they saw Point Break and were just like, let's call it Point Break. And it works. You don't think about it for a second, but it works. No. And they say it and it works on multiple levels. And like he does say it in the movie, referencing the waves at a certain location. Yeah. The they point break there it, is really sick, you know, like something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like bitching point break. Yeah, yeah. In the in the second one, they say it, but it's not as a term. Should we they, play the clip? Yes. That's the summit. Half a mile of pure primordial rock. Maybe I should have asked you this before, but. You've done this, right? Sure. Except it was out of a plane. Proximity flight's a whole different monster. 
You need to read the flow. Become the wind. Or you'll hit your point. What point? The point where you break. Your fear becomes master, and you're its slave. A man who pushes his boundaries ultimately finds them. So basically you're saying I'm gonna die. We're all gonna die. The only question is how. So it's like trying to sound so deep where I feel like in the original, yeah, you know, Bodhi and his and his buddies, you know, they, they talk a big game about like why they do what they do. But there's something about Patrick Swayze's charisma that makes you like kind of fall for it. Like as an audience member, you're kind of just like a, yeah, <laughs> you know, like there's just something about the way that he is that character that draws you in. Whereas the actors in the 2015 remake, they're just trying to deliver the line in a really dramatic way. And, but some of the lines are, are written so, uh, this so poorly. The scene when the, the non Tyler explains how she got connected with Bodhi uh-huh. is so like you, the last thing you want to laugh at is someone telling the you story when it? they're, yes, please. Everybody leave. Yeah, mostly. No, you okay? I don't know. Think about losing chowder. If any of this party is what Ozaki had in mind for the path to enlightenment. Ozaki would have hated this. He only cared about the purity of the eight and giving back whatever he took from the earth on the way to getting there. And what did he give back? Sometimes it was as simple as planting a tree. Other times it was something much larger. Like when my parents died in an avalanche when I was nine, he gave me a home. I know. Sorry. And then he died. Questing his third ordeal. Yeah. That's the story. But it's not the truth. He completed that ordeal. He could have finished the entire eight. He was that good. But. Instead, he got himself killed giving back for that ordeal. Oh. He positioned his small boat in the North Atlantic between a Norwegian whaling ship and a pod of humpback whales. The whaling ship never even slowed. So... Oh... I didn't know if you were gonna have. There's, I, you know, we don't want to play too long of a clip, right? But a moment after that is another one of my favorite exchanges oh, no. in the movie. 
when they're talking about like you know this guy who's like you know the spiritual master that Bodhi's like following in in his footsteps and and they're and and uh Utah goes he says something about like ideas can be powerful and she responds not as powerful as a whaling ship <laughs> There's some great like like the 2015 point uh, break could potentially be like a midnight movie and you would not fall asleep. So, <laughs> yeah, right. OK, I, I have a few things to add about this. OK, so this Izaki character. Yes, Bodhi is doing all of these things that he's doing in order to fulfill these like eight stunts or whatever that are supposed to bring you some sort of spiritual enlightenment or whatever. And. Uh, and give back to the earth. I think that the whole idea is that we, that Bodhi wants to leave the earth. It's essentially like, leave it better than you found it. You know, like instead of like taking all the resources from the earth, like giving back to it. He's definitely got more altruistic purposes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I I don't know, like there, that whole thing, it's only, it's like nowadays we need for there to be this like, much bigger reason why these people are committing crimes. And I don't know if that's just so that we like them more, but they seem to be pretty like eye-rolly people to begin with. And the thing about this movie, the 2015 remake, that is very different from the 1991 version is that the 2015 remake is modeling its script based on action movies from the 90s whereas action movies from the 90s are kind of like inventing things on their own and i say the 90s meaning also like late 80s early 90s whereas like you know the action movies that you know have come before were definitely more of a slow burn in you know the you know we talk about you know things like the french connection which i don't even know if you'd call that really an action movie it has a a a a notable it's a crime, chase sequence. crime drama. It's a crime drama, but it's you know. I, but you talk about other action movies from before this time that were maybe meant to be taken more seriously. There's, Lethal Weapon, right? But that's not even like that much longer before this. But that is still one of them where it's kind of like inventing itself. And I would venture to say that like the 1991 Point Break isn't looking to something like Lethal Weapon. Or, you know, one of some other like 80s action movie as like a template or like something to build off of. Whereas a movie from 2015, it's people who are writing the script who grew up watching those movies from the 80s and 90s and and trying to build on them and make them bigger. And I think that that's where it really fails because they're not trying to do something new. They're trying, and this is not to say that it's necessarily because it's a remake, but they're not necessarily trying to do something new. They're trying to take a formula and like, I don't know, boost it up. I, I kind of, I kind of question that. I, okay. I, I, I felt like, first of all, I felt like the tone, if anything, it like short of a like fast and furious presents, type thing had the tone of like early 2000s Jerry Bruckheimer and I I I don't know like I felt like this couldn't have been written by fans of the original because it it shows little to I didn't no say respect. fan I didn't say oh. fans what just really quick what I mean is people who 
watch those movies and see them just for the action of them and not for the craft behind them. Okay, yes, that that makes much more sense. I would say like if if anything like you know it was it's you know you, you have a writer and you give them like this wasn't a passion project it was more just like someone threw them a blu-ray of point break and said hey we want to like let's do something we want to do something with this but then it's like if you're there's just there's no imagination in it it's very it's very much just like it's action sequence after action sequence within no with less than 10 minutes after the flying scene the fucking flying yeah. scene there's the snowboarding scene yeah and then there's like they break and what they break for isn't the dialogue point. that builds <laughs> yes there is no point to that break there's it's like they they stop for they they barely stop and it's ah uh, it, it was just no it, it was no good and it wasn't like fun and there were there there were like tiny little nods to the to the to the original but yeah not no enough. it's right and there's definitely like a a congeniality from the 2015 one in reference to the 1991 uh original that uh you can tell they definitely missed that they they missed the whole, the whole idea oh, behind huge it huge miss yeah and anyway i just wanted to um i don't know i feel like we should completely just move on from the 2015 remake it is uh complete nonsense there's so many th- things that you could find wrong with it but like i said if there if you just want to see uh some cool looking shit i the thing is like it's a it's a hollywooded version of it so it's not like you're seeing like actual people just go on youtube doing, yeah exactly just yeah but don't look yeah. up clips for the movie look up actual people in squirrel suits or whatever yeah 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 it, oh it's oh it's just t- terrible <laughs> yeah uh and and you know Going back to what we were saying about The Fast and the Furious being a remake, yes, it very much is. The Fast and the Furious is about a an, a rookie FBI agent who gets in too close with a group of, uh, they're stealing DVD players. <laughs> like, that's... <laughs> That's what they're because doing. Because it was 2001. Because it was 2001. And uh, and he gets in too close with them. And then similarly to the you know 1991 point break, uh, at the end, he lets the guy go. And you know as we have seen over the course of the next billion movies, you know, he yeah. is then part of, part of them. Whereas, you know, Johnny Utah, you see him throwing away his badge at the end of point break. Uh, he gets into this whole thing where like he catches Bodhi after a year, whatever it is of searching for him, finding him at this 50 year wave that Bodhi accurately predicted, by the way, uh, in, in Australia. And, uh, so, but, and it's like, he is there to get him. He handcuffs himself to him, but for some reason, there's just something about him. He can't squeeze the trigger pointing in the direction he lets him go and he you know fires a gun into the air he just lets him go and he is then at peace with it and um you know 
credit where credit is due. Keanu Reeves totally killing it in this performance. Uh, Patrick Swayze, I'd say my favorite of his performances. And really, and and honestly, it's like you know, leading up to this, you have well, of course, Dirty Dancing, but also like Roadhouse. Uh, you know, you've Ghost. got Ghost. You have these, you know, this uh, massive amount of range from this guy. And what I also appreciate about him is that, you know, you think about Patrick Swayze as being this just like, you know, solid, like man's man kind of grunting football player kind of thing. But then you look at the movies that he's in and he's got so much soul to him. You see him in like The Outsiders and, you know, you even see him in this movie and he's got like a surfer's body. He's not like bulked up beyond belief. He, you know, he looks like just like a, a yeah. fit guy who just kind of gets it. And even in Roadhouse, he's very spiritual. In, in Roadhouse, he is. Yeah. He doesn't want to be ripping throats out, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Well, you have to, you know, be nice until it's yeah. time to not be nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't know. There's just, uh, there's just so much about Patrick Swayze that I feel like, you know, I mean, Pour one out, Patrick Swayze. Talk and about talk about gone too soon. Gone too soon, but also it's like, you know, after point break, aside from Tu Wong Fu, there, you know, really no big hits. We Unless didn't you got Donnie Darko, but that's not like a Patrick Swayze movie. He's he's in it. No, it was like an outlier. It was like, oh, oh total wow, outlier. Patrick Swayze. But yeah, we didn't appreciate. I don't think we appreciate what we had with Patrick Swayze until no. it was too late. Yeah, because I feel like there was a consideration of him being more of like a himbo than uh, a- an actor who truly was able to like capture the essence of a character. And, you know, I certainly am fond of the movie Tu Wong Fu. I'd be interested in watching it. Uh, I, I mean, I did watch it again recently, but like watching it, you know, with somebody who maybe knows a, a little bit more about, I, you know, it's hard to call call them actual drag queens because they they live as women. So that's not what a drag queen is. Um, so I, you know, to to kind of watch it with the lens of somebody that you know can actually dissect who these characters are and, and things like that. But like, I he was great in that and. But it's it's a very 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 different atmosphere from a movie like from like this or Roadhouse or Ghost or you know so yeah well that was the whole marketing I mean with Tu Wong Fu was that it was like Patrick Swayze and Wesley Snipes who yeah. were known for their action right action films yeah I know uh, and John yeah, Leguizamo watched... who right was breaking out yeah. John Leguizamo was great in that movie too. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, uh, Patrick Swayze definitely taken from us too soon, and didn't appreciate him when he should have been appreciated more. I would have loved to have seen more from him uh, in this kind of role. We missed out. Yeah. We missed out. Yeah. He was fabulous. So, oh yeah, let's talk about the Fast and the Furious. It's uh. It is exactly what a remake of this movie should have been. I'm glad yeah. that it wasn't a actual remake, that it wasn't like a 
called like Point Break or anything like that. Well, but it was like it was like it was Point Break with cars, the same way like Speed was Die Hard on a bus. Uh, right. Yeah, but it's like this. But I don't know. Fast and the Furious just really took so much from this, and I'm glad that yeah. Fast and the Furious had multiple opportunities to reinvent itself to find its footing after the fourth or fifth movie and become what it is now, which is just like, oh my God, who would have thought that it would have come from this like point break ripoff, essentially. I know. I know. It's crazy. And yeah, 20 years, the ninth one came out last year, or 20th anniversary. Yeah. If you're not counting the first uh, Fast and the Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Or like, Fast and the Furious presents Point Break, right? Or or just the Fast and the Furious, all of the TV shows, the cart, the animated series, and stuff like that. Like it's wild, and you know, I don't think that you would have had any of that had it not been for Point Break. You sure wouldn't, John. Yeah. You sure wouldn't. So, Dan, what well, would you do? Well, let's see. Okay, so uh, we tried the remake route that didn't work out so well. Uh, there's been a there's a live theatrical experience, Point Break Live, where right. an audience member gets to uh, play Johnny Utah. Um, now, what I have read is that the the original screenwriter of uh, of Point Break. Um, I navigated away from my page, so I lost uh, lost oh. his name. Yeah, uh, uh, W. Peter Lilith. Yes, is that right? Il, il, sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, apparently, he was working on uh, a series that would be about uh, Johnny Utah's daughter. Oh, who has uh, who has grown up and come through some hard times and now is in the so kind of like a serious a similar story but then also the mystery of where is johnny utah uh-huh and is he still alive and you know where where is he what is he what is he doing which kind of which that kind of ties into my my idea or my thought for a sequel which uh which is it's it's challenging it's tough i the idea of a sequel to point break without patrick swayze yeah. is is a little tough to swallow but it's been all this time the ending of the original now even though uh james cameron who uh uncredited but uh, uh like did work on the script uh, was married to catherine bigelow when they right. when 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 she uh made this but According to him, Bodhi does not survive at at the end. Right. But it's not, and that's you're definitely left to draw that conclusion. But it, it's not it's not defined for us. So I feel like you have you could have a, a Johnny Utah who has maybe he's spent the last uh, thirty years, you know, like roaming he he you know he quits the bureau so who knows what he's doing and maybe he maybe he feels like Bodhi is still out there he feels his presence and he's obsessed he needs to find him now within this sequel i feel like there should be flashbacks to Bodhi's childhood mm. and to show the the coming of age maybe of Bodhi. Bodhi, I would Bodhi call babies. it. So yeah, uh, 
there there you go done that's it uh i don't i don't think a full prequel about wait Bodhi- did you, is that what you would have called it Bodhi babies yeah no because you started <laughs> to say i would call it and then no i'd call it uh point break the spirit of Bodhi. uh oh, okay. it's not it's not the best title in the world but um Bodhi babies still, is better. still in development i don't think that a full prequel about Bodhi's like childhood uh, upbringing like i feel like flashbacks in a type of sequel would mm. would almost work better kind of going back and forth between kind of like a godfather part two structure <laughs> okay if you will uh will. And, and that way you know you could kind of see like who is this person who becomes this spiritual surfing bank robber Right. Um, now, I also think y- you have the possibility, and maybe this ties into it, but, uh, of course, just the other day uh, on, uh, on oh, I mean, Saturday, I think it was, or Friday, uh, there was a, I'm reading this from, from CNN, a four-story high rogue wave breaks records mm. off the coast of Vancouver Island. Oh, uh, and how a only a uh, like a rogue wave that the probability of such an event occurring is one in one thousand three hundred years. Wow. Um. So like so this point type... break colon rogue wave. Is that yeah, what yeah. <laughs> rogue nation. Uh, rogue wave is a cool enough title. Yeah. No. Rogue wave. R- rogue wave would be great. Uh, no, I was just thinking about Mission Impossible. Nope. Rogue Nation. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, th- there have been other, uh, you know, rogue rogue waves, but I think this this one is the uh, might be the largest one. Hmm. Uh, uh, on on record. So. Uh, but yeah, some idea with like the rogue, like a rogue wave, which I don't know how well, like, I, I don't think they're that predictable. Right. But just, but if you kind of like add a little fiction in there and you could have it where you, Utah, maybe Utah well, become maybe Utah becomes like one of these, like, uh, weather, like, uh, off the grid weather, like weather specialists. And he's like, I'm going to track these, these storms and these, these unique, like, and as climate change, of course, picks up and we have more extreme weather events happening. Sure. Well, Dan, there's something that, you know, you're overlooking in this and that's the fact that Bodhi in Point Break out of nowhere predicts that there is going to be this 50 year wave that occurs that the the spirituality behind it or the the legend behind it is that twice a year there is a wave that the ocean sends us to remind us how insignificant we are or something like that. And there is definitely some like, you know, hooey stuff to it. And perhaps there's a way that like, you know, Bodhi kind of was like he predicted this thing. It's not like there was some sort of weather thing that was going that was known that was going to tell them that this is going to happen. I mean, Clearly, it doesn't happen right away after the last time he saw Bodhi. His hair is longer and all the, you know, it's like time has right. passed. So there's no way that Bodhi could have predicted on this one day, you know, that there was going to be this wave that happens to be there. So 
maybe there is a way that like you know we see utah tossing his badge away and maybe he does try to like see what Bodhi saw in the universe and like try to get more in touch with like you know the balance between man and nature and all this kind of stuff so. red pill or blue pill red pill and blue pill yeah baby so i don't know maybe there maybe there is something to that because it's like it's set up in the movie that it is possible to have this kind of foresight that such a wave could exist at a certain place at a certain time yeah i there's nothing scientific about it I don't know. Yeah, I guess I had always taken it in the movie that like that this wasn't something he was just making up like that. He knew. I mean, then then again, there really was no like Internet in 1991 for him. Maybe he got a newsletter or something. Uh, I don't know. I think that it was just intuition. Uh, I don't have the clip pulled or anything, but I feel like there was a. You know, no, when they're I don't talking think he, about it. It's I don't think he necessarily cites data. He just sounds no. very confident. So I guess I I always assumed he had some type of uh, data. Well, that's the magic that up, of Patrick Swayze no. right there. You believe it. You believe his words. That's the Amen. Manson quality. That's why we're um, crazy for Swayze. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what would, what what's your is that is that your. Uh, no, no, no. I was just thinking that as you were talking about riffing. yours. But I was just riffing, baby, and it's jazz. It's jazz, jazz, jazz. So what I was thinking is actually going back to what we were talking about with the Fast and the Furious. So (laughs) I'm going to talk a little bit about the Fast and the Furious franchise post-Fast 5 or whatever. Because after that point, you get they get linked up, and this is the Dominic Toretto crew, uh, you know, you got ludicrous in there you got tyrese gibson you've got the you know everybody the crew just keeps on building and building gal gadot is there at some point and the they are linked by this guy who goes by mr nobody who is not part of any government agency kurt russell plays him it's great uh and he is the one that essentially like gives them tasks and cars and whatever else they (laughs) need to catch these like you know, universe destroying bad guys, essentially who use cars as their weapons or, you know, submarines in certain cases. And (laughs) what I feel needs to be done is to officially link the fast and the furious universe and the point break universe. Because what we know at the end of point break is that Johnny Utah throws away his badge and he just walks away. So, let's say he gets recruited by Mr. Nobody to, uh, uh, you know, really kind of create this new system that kind of is above all other law that exists not on any, like, paperwork anywhere. And... uh, to to get to get that kind of insight from somebody and maybe like the whole idea of having the FBI put Brian into the world of Dominic Toretto was like him with like you know messing with the the puppet strings a little bit you know he's manufacturing this world in which this guy in the FBI gets in too deep with this this group and you know who better to make that happen than somebody with experience so 
I, you know, Keanu Reeves, we are in the midst of a fantastic Keanu sans. And I say we keep it going. He's revisiting old uh, franchises, the Bill and Ted franchise, the Matrix franchise. Uh, he's, you know, still going forward with, you know, the John Wick universe. Like he is just, I don't know, pumping them out. So, so wait, question. So in, uh, in your vision, is this like a prequel to Fast and the Furious? Where no, I think that no. this is a continuation of the story from where it is at this point. And we learn that things were put into motion. Oh, that, that Johnny Utah has been a part of this from the beginning. Yes. Okay. Which, which makes sense because the first fast and the furious is just within 10 years of, yeah. of point break. Yeah. So, okay. I thought the other way you could go with that is where Johnny Utah is now, like where he has, he has become the, the leader of a, group of thieves and <laughs> that that's like that's the new fast 10 no 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 because in his at his core he still wants the right thing to be done he does not want there to be bank robberies he still wants the law to be abided by but he also understands that there are other ways of you know navigating law in order to still believe in something you know aside from just right. you know the the law right and to say like if you really want to if you if you need to go in that deep to bring criminals down then there really can't be any boundaries or any exactly. restraints on you and maybe he feels like had there not been those restraints of the bureau on him yeah that things would have gone differently back in yeah, 91 of course because you know they still they you know, you got to get things done quickly and there's budgets and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, it, let's say Mr. Nobody, you know, it's just like endless resources. So it seems. And it's just like, he's your guy. Johnny mm. Utah. Anyway. I, I like that. <laughs> I like that. You know, I sometimes a lot of these uh, these crazy ass ideas that I have start off in a as a joke, but then I start to like think about it and like unravel it more and more and more. And it's like, and it you works. Know what? It kind of works. It works. It does. It yeah. does totally work. Wow. Anyway, now I kind of want to see this. I haven't seen Fast Nine yet, though. So it is wild, aren't they all? Oh, uh, Dan, I I. Mm. Wish I could see the only more. the ones I have not seen. I haven't seen like I saw the original. I haven't seen Too Fast, Too Furious. I've not seen Tokyo Drift, and I've not seen Fast and Furious. I've seen Fast since and then. Furious. Is that that the was the fourth, fourth one? one? The fourth yeah. one's good. There, there's some good stuff in there. The second one, there's some good stuff in there. Tokyo Drift is worth seeing so that you're able to make the connections in some of the later ones, and it's it has its moments. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. All right. That's that's great. So yeah. Point Break. Fucking great movie. But it is. You know what? Fantastic. Like, why don't they just it makes me wonder instead of having instead of doing these re, these these ridiculous remakes that are just no like I even you know what remake I thought about, too, with this was like was the Arthur remake. Oh, yeah. Which at least bore some resemblance to the original but 
I thought to myself, I was like, you know what? It's sad because someday there's going to be some kid who's going to think that they've seen Point Break and they're going to say, oh, yes, I've seen Point Break. And they're going to be talking about this piece of shit and not like the classic, not the original. But yeah, you have not begun to see Point Break, child. Like <laughs> War child. That one's called uh, Point Break Baja Blast. Uh, so Dan do you want to tell everyone what we're doing on our next episode I dropped in one I dropped in one reference to to the to the title but it was really shoehorned in there it was really shoe yeah but however it reminded me to do that so I also made a reference and made a reference to the title of its sequel as well. oh did you I totally missed it I did. I did. Uh, so next up, we are going to be talking about Miss Congeniality and Miss Congeniality 2, Armed and Fabulous. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen either of them. Oh, my God. My daughter's here and just scared the crap out of me. Uh, What's up, kiddo? You got to go to bed, dude. Okay, why don't you go up there? I'll be up in five minutes, okay? <laughs> so, yeah, no, I haven't seen either of those movies. I'm excited to check them out. Michael Caine is in them? Michael Caine. Julie uh, Andrews? Is that Julie right? Julie Ant? N- uh, no. no, Candace Bergen. Candace Bergen. Maybe I'm, Candace oh, no, I'm thinking Bergen. of Princess Diaries. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, can yeah yeah Candace Bergen, uh, Michael Caine, William Shatner is in at least the, the okay. first one, uh, and of course Sandra uh, Bullock, Sandra Bullock, Benjamin yeah. Bratt, yeah. So uh, it's it's been a while since I've seen either of them. So I looking am to looking forward to it. I uh, yeah. and all y'all listening, if you have something you want to add about Point Break or any of the other one hundred and fifty four movies we've talked about on this show. Uh, shoot us an email at uh, sorry ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com check out our link tree in the show's description for all of our social media and our tea public store and uh, big ups to our boy Jesse Plemons for that Oscar nom yes. buy our Jesse Plemons merch on our tea public store hey get ready for Oscar night and by Oscar night we don't mean Oscar Isaac because he was not nominated but Jesse Plemons sure was so that's right get, get your Jesse Plemons gear and get ready for for the Oscars. Yeah. So, well, Dan, as you are chasing a masked bank robber down the the streets and back alleys of uh, of Los Angeles, I wish you a good journey and a good journey to you. Mm-hmm.